What would you do when a crisis comes your way? In the report, The World Ahead 2024, five stories to watch out for by the economists, world politics featured prominently. There are significant political elections that will take place this year that could shift geopolitical alliances. Think of Taiwan and the USA. In addition, countries are increasingly polarised into different political alliances. Think of BRICS versus the United Nations. The potential for geopolitical conflict is considerable. In a world already in the throes of two major wars, changing politics and shifting alliances, we in Singapore, we are not spared. As a small nation, it's becoming increasingly difficult to navigate the geopolitical complexity. And we have experienced its knock-on effects on our trade, our supply chains, our economy, leading to insecurity regarding our jobs, our income and our future. And with the threats of job cuts looming close, it's not surprising that we find an increase in office politics as people seek to ensure their own job security at the cost of others. Some companies have also resorted to unjust practices just to maintain their bottom lines and have pressured some of us to conform to unethical practices or have treated us unjustly. Anxieties abound in these uncertain times and these are often compounded by personal crises like ill health or family conflicts. Inevitably, God brings us into crisis. Sooner or later, the, this question presses itself upon us. What would you do when a crisis comes your way? Will you fight, flee, or come up with plans and strategies to overcome the crisis? You know, the Bible frames what we face this way. In facing this threat and crisis, will you fear man or fear God? Will you trust in man and your own plans and devices or in God and His promises to save? In whom will you trust? You know, we see a similar situation in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 1 to 9, verse 7. When King Ahaz, he faced a national crisis and had to make a decision. So turn with me uh, to look at verse 1 of chapter 7 of the book of Isaiah. And you can find this passage on page 535 of the Pew Bibles. And we see Isaiah write in verse 1 of chapter 7. In the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, king of Judah, Resin, the king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Remaliah, the king of Israel, came up to Jerusalem to wage war against it, but could not yet mount an attack against it. This introduction locates this passage to approximately 730 BC, during the period of the divided kingdoms, with the ten tribes of Israel in the north and the remaining two in the south. At the time of this writing, Uzziah's descendant Ahaz is king of the southern nation, and he learns that alliance has been formed against him, 
The king of Israel, Pekah, has joined forces with the king of Syria, Rezin. At this time, the, king, the kingdom of Assyria was the most significant military power in the Middle East. And this strong country was a threat to the security of the surrounding nations. So what the king of uh, Israel and Syria wanted to do, they wanted to counter this threat of Assyria, so they decided to invade the southern kingdom of Judah to pressure King Ahaz to join them in their coalition. And if you want to see more of this, you can turn to 2 Kings uh, chapter 16, verse 1 to 20. In facing this political and military threat from the north, with the enemies sitting at the very gates of Jerusalem, how would King Ahaz and the people of Judah respond? How would they respond to this crisis before them? And today's passage unfolds this for us. So keep your Bibles open to Isaiah chapter 7 uh, and to 9 um, as we look at today's passage. The big idea for today's passage is this. Do not fear man, but stand firm, trusting God's promises to save through the Son. You might want to take this down. Do not fear man, but stand firm, trusting God's promise to save through the Son. And we'll see this outlined in four parts. Uh, chapter 7, verse 1 to 17, decide to stand firm in the faith. Chapter 7, verse 18 to chapter 8, verse 8, fear man and face judgment. Chapter 8, 9 to 20, uh, verse, uh, chapter 8, verse 9 to 22, God's promised presence with those who stand firm. And lastly, trust that God will save through the promised Son. And this is in chapter 9. So what decisions will you make when you're faced with a crisis? Ahaz and the people of Judah faced two armies invading from the north and they were fearful. We read in verse 2 of chapter 7, when the house of David was told, Syria is in league with Ephraim or the northern kingdom of Israel, the heart of Ahaz and the heart of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. The news made Ahaz and his people tremble like the trees in the wind. They were terrified. But do you notice how verse 2 starts? It starts with addressing the house of David. And this address is also repeated again in verse 13. Even with Ahaz being an evil king and with the crisis looming, Isaiah reminded them that they belong to the house of David. They were to remember God's promise in 2 Samuel 7 that God himself will establish the throne of David's kingdom forever. Undergirding this whole story is God's promise that he will establish the throne of David's descendants forever. God has promised that he will act to preserve David's household. And then God then sent Isaiah on his first mission uh, after his commission in Isaiah 6. And look with me in verses 3 to 9. And the Lord said to Isaiah, Go out to meet Ahaz, you and Shur Joshua, your son, at the end of the conduit of the upper pool on the highway to the washer's field, and say to him, Be careful, be quiet, do not fear. And do not let your heart be faint because of this 
two smouldering stumps of firebrands, at the fierce anger of Resin and Syria and the son of Remaliah, because Syria with Ephraim and the son of Remaliah has devised evil against you, saying, Let us go up against Judah and terrify it. Let us conquer it for ourselves and set up the son of Habil as king in the midst of it. Verse 7, Thus say the Lord God, it, it will not stand, and it shall not come to pass. For the head of Syria is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is Resin. And within 65 years, Ephraim will be shattered from being a people. And the head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is the son of Ramelia. If you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. Israel goes with his son, Shur Joshua, whose name means a remnant shall return. Israel and his sons are God's signs and warnings to the people of Israel. We see this subsequently in chapter 8, verse 18. Through the sign of Isaiah's son, Shur Joshua, God promises that he will deliver and preserve a remnant of his people despite the coming crisis. So the Lord sends Isaiah with this good news that Ramaliah's son, Picar, and Resin, they were like smouldering stubs of firewood, you know, just like flickering cigarette buds that are about to go out. Ultimately, their plot against Judah, you know, they had wanted to conquer Judah and set up the son of Tabil as a puppet king. Their plot, this plot, will fail. Ahaz needs to wait faithfully and not fear. Isaiah tells Ahaz to stand firm and wait and see God's delivering hand. If you're not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. You know, some, some commentators capture this word play in English. Hold on, in, hold, hold God in doubt, and you will not hold out. Or unsure, insecure. Or if you put it that way, you see what God literally says. If you do not firm up, you will not be confirmed. Beloved, the call to be firm in faith is the same for us today. In the face of crisis, will you stand firm in faith? And what is faith? Faith has three components. Faith, a portion of faith means knowing God. There's a knowledge of God which pursues, uh, persuading us to agree with God, motivating us to embrace God. So faith comprises a whole person trusting of God with our head, our heart, and our hands. Intellect, feeling and will converge upon God in Christ. But what does Ahaz do? Ahaz doesn't want to believe in God. He wouldn't want to believe. He prefers dismay and delay. He feels more normal, busily devising his own deliverance and rescue and wanting the success of his plans rather than trusting in God's promise and rescue. His heart is hard. However, God graciously speaks again to Ahaz through Isaiah. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz. Ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be as deep as Sheol or as high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. And he said, Hear then, O house of David. Is it too little for you to weary my man that you weary my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin will conceive and bear a son, 
and shall call his name Emmanuel. He shall eat curds and honey when he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. The Lord will bring upon you and upon your people and upon your father's house such days as have not come since the day that Ephraim departed from Judah, the king of Assyria. God graciously invites Ahaz to ask him for a sign of assurance. But we see in verses 10 to 12, the king is reluctant. God, in fact, gives him the freedom, almost like a blank check, to ask for any sign. But Ahaz refuses to agree to it. Why? He doesn't want to trust God. Ahaz put it in pious language. We see this in verse 12. But if you look at it, it's all quick-thinking, religiously correct hypocrisy. Because Ahaz knows that if he let God in, God will take control. And for Ahaz, that will mean trusting God, relying on God's strategies to get through the crisis, and ultimately giving God the glory for the outcome. Ahaz doesn't want that. He chooses to not trust God. Beloved, pay heed here. Our will can refuse faith, no matter how strong the evidence is. If we don't want God, we can find a way to make our unbelief sounds plausible or even pious or religious. Take heed that we don't fall into the same sin that Ahaz finds himself in. So Isaiah then announces in the face of uh, Ahaz's refusal, he announces what the sign would be. A virgin will bear a son and call his name Emmanuel. And when this child has grown enough to discern right and wrong, Pekah and Resin will no longer be a threat to Judah. We see this in verse 14 to 16. What this does is Isaiah gives a prophecy that promises protection in the near future. And we see this in history. In 722 BC, the king of Assyria came against the northern kingdom of Israel and effectively removed it as a threat to the southern kingdom of Judah. According to Isaiah here, the birth of a son at that time communicates God's deliverance and God's assurance. You know, verse 14b is a well-known verse used in many Christmas greeting cards. When we were reading this passage in pastoral staff meeting, all of them will say, ah, this is commonly used during Christmas. We know this verse, right? Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. The New Testament says that this promise was fulfilled in the birth of Jesus centuries later. We see this in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 and following. But the context in which this was given, it links this to Isaiah's day. We see this in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 15 to 16. So the question before us is when was God's promise fulfilled? There is more to Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14 that meets the eyes at first. Because the prophecy came true not in one, but in two ways. First, it predicted the birth of Isaiah's son, Mahashalah Hasbash. We read in Isaiah chapter 8 verse 1 to 4 that this boy's birth signaled the fall of Syria and the northern kingdom of Israel. And we see that there's a parallel between Isaiah 8, 4 
and Isaiah 7.16. And it gives an evidence of this. The child's name means something like, the spoil speeds the prey hastens. The name was an ominous note of judgment. Was God present with His people in this crisis? Yes, He will rescue His people. But He will rescue His people by undoing the alliance of Syria and Israel through the instrument of the invading Assyrian army. Can you imagine that? Getting a bigger, stronger enemy army to invade and wipe out the foes of Judah. The enemy forces are doomed because God is with His people. But secondly, Isaiah 7.14 pointed to or prefigured the birth of Jesus Christ. The Gospel writer Matthew read the Old Testament with the eye on how the Old Testament people, institutions and events foreshadowed the coming Messiah. In Isaiah's prophecy of the Emmanuel sign child, he saw a picture of our ultimate salvation. Because beloved, we, we face a collision of hostile powers that are far worse than the alliance of Syria and Israel of old. We face the alliance of sin and death and they will never go away and we are no match for them. But in the face of these final enemies, the child Jesus fulfills the truest meaning of Emmanuel God with us. God will dwell with us in the person of Jesus Christ and bring final deliverance to our greatest crisis. Beloved, the sign points to us that God will deliver us. So we must stand firm in faith. From what fears do you have to turn away from and turn to faith in God? You may face anxieties about from job security and office politics. Firm up your faith and trust in God. You may face fears of ill health and discomfort. Firm up your faith and trust in God. You may face pressures of exams and making the grade. Firm up your faith and trust in God. God promises to rescue you, but He may, not, may or may not rescue you from a current crisis, but He will certainly rescue you uh, from the greatest crisis of sin and death. So, beloved, we do decide to have faith and rely on Christ to rescue you. What if you do not stand firm in your faith, but fear man instead? That's what happens here. We see that rather than trust God, Ahaz relied on politics and allied himself and his nation with one of the strongest nations of his time, Assyria. He trusted in man rather than God. For Ahaz, the opportunity to return to God and stand firm in faith has passed. And God tells him through the prophet, fear man and face judgment. God will summon the armies of Assyria and Assyria will remove the threats of the nation of Syria and the northern kingdom of Israel. So God will still preserve His people. But the judgment on these nations will spill over into the southern kingdom of Judah. Look with me to Isaiah 7, verse 18 to 25. In that day, the Lord will whistle for the fly that is at the end of the streams of Egypt and for the bee that is in the land of Assyria. They will all come and settle in the steep ravines and in the clefts of the rocks and on all the torn bushes 
and on all the pastures. In that day, the Lord will shave with a razor that is hired beyond the river with the king of Assyria, the head and the hair of the feet, and he will sweep away the beard also. In that day, a man will keep alive a young cow and two sheep, and because of the abundance of milk that they give, he will eat curds, for everyone who is left in the land will eat curds and honey. In that day, every place where there used to be a thousand vines worth a thousand shekels of silver will become briars and thorns. With bow and arrows, a man will come there, for all the land will be briars and thorns. And as for all the hills that used to be hold with a hole, you shall not come there for fear of briar and thorns, but they will become a place where cattle are let loose, where the sheep tread. The prophet predicts the coming Assyrian invasion of the northern kingdom of Israel. God's judgment will fall on them. And this is described in four parts, starting with in that day. Unpacking with uh, imagery, picture language, what God say will happen uh, to the northern kingdom of Israel. So let's look at the four in that day. In that day, in verses 18 to 19, God will whistle. He's sovereign. He will summon for the fly and the bee. And this picture, the armies of Assyria, they will swarm the land. In that day, in verse 20, the razor that is Assyria will shave Israel bald. The people of Israel will face humiliation and devastation. In that day, in verses 21 to 22, the land will be so depopulated to the extent that even with a few animals supplemented by some gathering from the land, the people will be fed. In that day, in verses 23 to 25, the land will be covered with briars and thorns, images of the curse. This prophecy was fulfilled in 722 BC, where the king of Assyria conquered Israel. And in doing so, Assyria acted as the instrument of God's sovereign judgment. And the resulting destruction fulfilled God's warning that turning from God's covenant will result in curses on the land and people. And this fulfilled what God would say that uh, Isaiah's commission is to do in uh, Isaiah 6, 11 to 12, that there will be exile, there will be devastation on the land as the people refuse to hear God's word. And God has confirmed that He will do this. He gives a sign of a son's birth to prove it. And we see it in chapter 8, verse 1 to 8. Look with me to these passages. Then the Lord said to me, Take a large tablet and write on it in common characters, belonging to Maher Shalah Hasbaz. And I will get reliable witnesses, Uriah the priest and Zechariah the son of Jabal Rachel, to attest for me. And I went to the prophetess, and she conceived and bore a son. And then the Lord said to me, Call his name Maher Shalah Hasbaz. For before the boy knows how to cry, my father or my mother, the wealth of Damascus and the spoil of Assyria will be carried away before the king of Assyria. The Lord spoke to me again, because this people has refused the waters of Shiloh that flow gently and rejoice over Resin and the son of Remalia. Therefore, behold, the Lord is bringing up against them the waters of the river, mighty and many, the king of Assyria and all his glory. And it will rise up 
rise over all its channels and go over, go over all its banks. And it will sweep on into Judah. It will overflow and pass on, reaching even to the neck. And its outspread wings will fill the breath of your land, O Emmanuel. Isaiah is told to name his son, Mahir Shalah Hasbas. Again, the name has significance because it means the spoil speeds, the prey hastens, indicating God's coming judgment through Assyria. Isaiah then is to broadcast the name on a signboard, you know, to write it on a big signboard and get witnesses to confirm the sign of the son's birth and name. We see that in verses 1 and 2. The Lord tells the prophet that before the boy knows how to call on his parents, the northern kingdom of Israel will be judged. The judgment of the northern kingdom of Israel will take the form of the king of Assyria. Assyria will rise up like a flood, like the rivers Euphrates, overflowing its banks, rushing in to sweep Syria and the northern kingdom of Israel away. But because Ahaz refused to stand firm in faith, poor little Judah must stand on tiptoe to keep her head above water. The people of Judah will survive, but barely. We see this in verses 6 to 8. And in history, we see that Judah will go on to be a vassal state of Assyria, suffering oppression at their hands. The sin of the fear of man has its consequences. But God is sovereign. Eventually, Assyria will fade from history and Judah will remain the land of Emmanuel. God will be with them through it all amid this crisis more than they know. You know, this warning of impending judgment comes as God's mercy to His people. God is graciously patient with His people. If they repent and turn to God, they will be counted as part of the remnant who stand firm in faith. And I speak to the presumptuous and complacent among us, beloved. Do not presume on God's patience. Do not think that you can continue to reject God's mercy in Christ Jesus. There will be a day where God holds you accountable for your unbelief. Do not presume to delay obedience because delayed obedience is no obedience at all. And one day, we all will need to answer to God for our stubborn sin. So instead of uh, refusing God, refusing to heed God, I urge you, heed God's warning. Return to stand firm in faith. And the good news is this, for those who return to stand firm in faith, God promises His presence. God promises His presence. Look at your Bible, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 9 to 10 with me. Be broken, you people, and be shattered. Give ear, all you far countries. Strap on your armour and be shattered. Strap on your armour and be shattered. Take counsel together, but it will come to nothing. Speak a word, but it will not stand, for God is with us. Here we see the prophet, he addresses and dares the nations to prepare for battle, to devise strategies, to strap on their armour. Yet all their preparations will be in vain. For God is with His people. The hope of Emmanuel was a present-day hope for Isaiah and those who heard him and trusted in God because God will be with them. And God speaks a word to Isaiah and the faithful remnant in Isaiah chapter 9, 
verse 11 to 22. For the Lord spoke thus to me with his strong hand upon me, and warned me not to walk in the way of this people, saying, Do not call conspiracy all this people calls conspiracy, and do not fear what they fear, nor be in dread. But the Lord of hosts, him you shall honour as holy. Let him be your fear, let him be your dread, and he will become a sentry, and a stone of offence, and a rock of stumbling, to both houses of Israel, a trap and snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And many shall stumble on it, they shall fall and be broken, they shall be snared and taken. Bind up the testimony, seal the teaching among my disciples. I will wait for the Lord, who is hiding his face from the house of Jacob, and I will hope in him. Behold, I and the children whom the Lord has given me are signs and portents in Israel from the Lord of hosts, who dwells on Mount Zion. And when they say to you, inquire of the mediums and the necromancers who chirp and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? Should they inquire of the dead on behalf of the living? To the teaching and to the testimony, if they will not speak according to his word, is because they have no dawn. They will pass through the land greatly distressed and hungry. And when they are hungry, they will be enraged and speak contemptuously against their king and their God and turn their faces upward. And they will look to the earth, but behold, the stress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. With judgment coming for God's enemies, the people of God, those who remember firm in their faith, the faithful remnant, they should not fear what the godless fear. The people should fear the Lord since God is holy. And as we see the events unfolding in these verses, the Lord will be a stumbling stone that divides the people of Israel and Judah. Many will fall and be snared. But God calls the prophets and any of us who will listen to wait for the Lord and to trust in Him. We see this in verse 16 to 17. In the king northern kingdom's near future, spiritual division will become apparent as the rem faithful remnant emerges from the purging and refining fire of God's judgment through the Assyrians. And the presence of this faithful remnant fulfill what God says during Isaiah's commission in Isaiah 6.13. There will be a stump that remains. The time will come when people will want the words of mediums and fortune tellers but this practice dishonours God. The people of God instead should seek their God. They should believe what God has revealed in His Word and to take seriously the warnings He has spoken through His prophet. But we see at the end of this passage, the people's spiritual stage, state will not improve. Their hearts will continue to rage. They will curse the King and God. They will only see distress and darkness. And this reflects their spiritual needs and helplessness. They need a light to shine in their spiritual darkness. Beloved, you see here in this passage that the faithful remnant stood firm and they are marked by God's presence. They feared God rather than man. They waited for God, cultivating hope for the promised son. And they held fast to, trusted in and obeyed God's word. So standing firm in faith means to fear God, to wait for God and to hold fast to God's word. Beloved, do not wait to a crisis before attempting to stand firm. No, we need to build up crisis resistance. 
so that we will be better able to stand firm when a crisis comes. And how do we do that? Remember that God is big and we are small. We fear God rather than man. We ought to forego our reputation among men so that we fear and honour God. We prayerfully wait for God, trusting that God will accomplish His purposes according to His time and plan. We hold fast to God's Word. We take God as His Word and trust His promises. We believe the Bible is authoritative and sufficient to guide our life, our faith, our practice. Beloved, how can we as a church help one another stand firm in our faith in Christ? We speak these truths to one another when we gather. We encourage each other with these words, thereby encouraging us to stand firm in faith. So do not uh, forsake gathering together as God's people. And as we do so, continue to encourage each other in these precious truths. Lastly, you know, the, the previous passage ends in darkness. But amid the distress and darkness, light shine forth. It's in the midst of darkness that when you see the light, that the light is made more magnificent. And we see this in this passage. In Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1 to 7, we see the promised sun that is to come. Isaiah chapter, one, uh, chapter 9, verse 1. Look with me to the Bible. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walk in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tamut, every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us, a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. In the pressing darkness, God will shine His everlasting light. You know, the fulfillment of these verses reaches far beyond Isaiah's day to a day when the true Emmanuel comes. The land of Galilee will experience God's gracious light such that people in darkness will witness the dawn of something new. You know, the Gospel writer Luke picks this up in Luke 1, uh, verse 20, 79, and tells us that this, this is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. In and through Jesus Christ, a light will shine in the darkness, 
bringing salvation and forgiveness of sins to His people. What God does in the coming of this Son will mean freedom from oppression, joy and peace. And we see this uh, uh, talk about in verses 3 to 5. This hope and dawning light again concern the birth of a son, the third son mentioned in these uh, two chapters. But Isaiah's son is not in view here. Instead, it is the son that the Lord promises who will rule and whose titles include Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And this son is the promised offspring of David, the son whose reign will never end. Though Isaiah, though Israel at that time had not yet a king who practiced perfect justice and righteousness, one will be born in the fullness of time when the incarnation of God's son, Emmanuel, God with us, comes. And this son will fulfill the hope of Isaiah, chapter 9, verse 1 to 7. Jesus is this son. He is the light of the world. So wherever Jesus went, the dawning light of deliverance and rescue shone. Now I speak to the non-Christians here today. If you desire freedom, joy and peace as Isaiah 9 described, you acknowledge that you have feared men, you have disregarded God and you are in a crisis called sin. And trust that God will save you through the promised Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ has fulfilled justice with God by dying on the cross in our place for our sins. And Jesus has lived the perfect life so that at the cross, His perfect righteousness will be counted to us if we place our faith in Him. If this is your desire, you can approach your Christian friend who brought you here, who invited you here this morning, or you can speak to any of the elders of this church. We'll be very happy to talk to you about the good news of Jesus Christ, the light that shines in our darkness. I also speak to believers among us facing a crisis. Uh, I'm really sorry that you're experiencing such troubles, and I do sincerely pray for God's encouragement to be upon you. But on the other hand, I urge you to cultivate hope in God's promises. Meditate on the gospel in passages like what we read today in Isaiah 9, verse 1 to 7. Or go to Romans 8. Saturate your heart by reading good books on the gospel or by listening or reading or singing songs and hymns that tell you about Jesus Christ, who He is and what He did. Because, beloved, hope arises when we comprehend the gospel. And this hope will call forth endurance during our time of crisis. Beloved, trust that God will save through the promised Son. This Son, this child, is the King to end all kings, saving us from our failure, lifting us into His own justice and righteousness. He is Jesus Christ, our Lord, our crucified, risen, reigning and coming Saviour. And He will not come back to tweak this problem and that. Rather, Jesus will return with a massive correction of all systemic evil forever. And in Him, we'll find true justice and righteousness.